you can head out that way. But what are you guys doing? You're wearing these kids out. A couple of the ones that are, that are usually a, a pistol are a little slower this morning. It's getting to be that time of summer, isn't it? Where everybody's had some vacations and, and you've been in the sun a lot and it was a hot week. Yeah, I can understand all that. I can understand that. Well, hey, I'm, I'm glad you all are here today. And a couple of things that are still coming up. We've got, this is kind of a strange, strange is not a bad term at all, but this is a strange Sunday morning for us. We've got a lot going on that are kind of special things that we don't do all the time. Obviously, we heard from Devin and Katie this morning, and, and they're rarely in town. And so it was good to hear from them and hear what God's doing in them. Uh, we're going to be taking communion in, in a little bit, and I'm going to give you instructions for that. Um, and I know not everybody here is going to be taking communion, but that's something that we do uh, usually four or five times a year, and today happens to be one of those Sundays. And so, like I said, you'll get instructions, but that's something that is, is really special for us as we recognize that as a congregation. And then at the end of our service, we're going to be having baptisms today, which we do two or three times a year. That's when people are claiming, they're saying, I believe in Jesus. They're responding to God's moving in their heart. And so we're going to go outside here in the backyard and, and a bunch of people are going to get wet. And so that's, uh, that's what our day is. And I know, I know a lot of you here today are specifically here because of a couple of those things. If, if you don't mind, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you're mostly here today because someone you know and love is getting baptized and they invited you, would, would you just raise your hand real quick? Because I, I just want you to know there's a lot of you here. And so as you look around, if you're saying, man, I don't know anybody here, well, there's other folks that are in the same group. And, and there are some people that have been here for weeks or maybe even months, and they're sitting there and they're saying, I don't know very many people either. Because sometimes that's how it goes. Today, I hope we can be brought together as we learn a little bit more about what it means to not be quite so selfish. Um, how many of you, not too many of the kids seem to be tuned in, or at least they wouldn't admit that they were tuned in with this word selfish, but how many of you have ever been told, don't be so selfish? H have you ever? Yeah, you're, a lot of you are just, you're just like your kids. Not, I don't want to admit to that. Okay, well, here's the thing. And this is something that I noticed, and I thought it was really interesting for those of you who were here in Sunday school, it was interesting to hear this come through Devin and Katie's reflection, too, of what it's been like for them to live in multiple different cultures. Here is what I noticed, and you're going to see this right away as you stop and think. We live, and by we, I guess I'm going to be particular here, I live here in Oxford, two miles away. Many of you live within a short drive of this place. If you live within a short drive of this place, you and we live in a place where the prevailing attitude is, look out for yourself. The prevailing attitude is, get yours. Even if we're not willing to admit it, the prevailing attitude, what, what many people call the American dream is, get what you can get, live your dream, be happy, you do you. None of you have heard that lately, have you? We live in a selfish culture. We live in a culture that celebrates the self. Now, to be clear, God loves every one of us in this room. God has made each of us individually and specially, and God does have a plan for each of us. We are not trash that, that needs to be just cast aside. I'm not talking about that. We need to understand that God loves us. We need to be able to love and appreciate ourselves well. I'm not talking about putting ourselves down. And I'm certainly not talking about looking at each other, you quit being so selfish. <sighs> Careful. No, what I'm talking about is this thing that elevates the self above all other things. And this is what is just 
just been epidemic in our culture, not just for years, but for decades. I'm 46, and I would suggest that my entire life, especially my formative years growing up in the 80s, what was the 80s about? Get what you can get, make what you can make. Pull yourself up and make it happen. And we're blessed. We live in a place where so many of our efforts are rewarded. But we have turned into a group of people that are incredibly selfish, self-obsessed, meeting my needs, my desires, my appetites now. Oh, I was frustrated. Yesterday, I, I rarely go to Walmart. I just don't care for that place very much. It's not a shopping experience that I enjoy. But, but we had a thing coming up, and we needed a white T-shirt. We needed a white T-shirt quick, and we realized it, and, and so Melanie put it in, and we found, hey, we could get one. Like, we could go pick it up at Walmart this afternoon, and so ordered it, and it was in, like, the pickup area. We ordered one thing just online real quick, because we want to make sure it was the right size and the right style for this project and thing coming, and, and so, all right, it'll be ready at 4 o'clock Saturday afternoon at Walmart in Oxford. I said, cool, I'll do that, and I'll grab a pizza on the way home. It'll be great on Saturday night, and I ran out to Walmart to pick up a t-shirt that was paid for already online. I just had to get it. And they even have special parking spaces and I pulled into parking space number one. Now I've only ever been to this little section of Walmart once. That was way back in COVID when the, when the, um, when the, the pick up your shopping was a brand new thing. And I vowed I would never go back because it was a disaster at that store, at that place, at that time. But I went back yesterday, I got in space number one, and I called the number and I said, I'm here to pick up this order. It's just one thing, it's just a t-shirt. And I can't tell you how aggravated I was that I had to wait four minutes <laughs> for that t-shirt to come out. And I'm sitting here and I'm laughing, and I'll tell you, honestly, I'm laughing at myself because I was sitting in an air-conditioned car with a podcast on, listening to a sports podcast of some things that I missed this week, having fun, being so annoyed that I had to wait for them to bring me my white t-shirt. Now, how many of you can relate to that? How spoiled am I? I mean, honestly, if I were to talk to my dead grandpa and tell him that story right now, he'd say, wait, you didn't have to, you didn't have to get out of the car? You didn't have to walk in there? You didn't have to wait in line at a register? You didn't even have to take any money? You did that from home? You waited four minutes and your car, wait, you can just set the temperature and it stays there? You old people, do you remember when you had to adjust the fan on the air conditioner? How many of you had a first car that didn't even have an air conditioner, right? I mean, it's funny, my truck has uh, cranked down windows. I can't tell you how many people get in my truck and don't know how to do that anymore. <laughs> I, had, I had a teenager get in my truck not too long ago and they just looked at it and they're like, what do I, like seriously, and I'm like, you, you grab, and they grabbed it like this. And it was, and they're like, this is really hard. I'm like, I know, you grab it like this and you crank down the... And, and praise God for all those neat little luxuries that make life a little easier. I love heated seats. But so much of what's happening in my life and yours is stuff that's just geared to make us more comfortable, more convenient, easier. And what happens? What happens to me? I become entitled. Well, yeah, I deserve to be comfortable. I mean, how could I go out if I don't have an air-conditioned car and some air-conditioned seats? I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a pilgrim. <laughs> we live in a culture where we're just really used to, and frankly, let, let's be honest, folks. In this room, most of us have the means to be able to have all those little luxuries to make life a little better. Or, or maybe not all the things that we want, but we've got a lot. We've got it good. And what happens is that can turn from a convenience to an expectation. 
and expectations can turn to demands. And then when we are in this whole little rut together, it can turn into this place where it turns into just meeting my needs, meeting my desires, and meeting my expectations, instead of thinking about anyone else, let alone our Lord. That's the kind of attitude that we need to keep fighting against. And it's that kind of attitude that made us turn to the Psalms this summer. So that we could see and recognize and realize that we're not the first ones to go through some of the challenges that we face. We're not the first ones who need to be reminded to praise God, but we're also not the first ones or the last ones who are expected to praise God. So if you have a Bible with you or if you'd like to follow along in print or on your device or whatever, we'll have this on the screen too. But we're looking at Psalm 150. It is the last Psalm in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is just about in the middle of your Bible. So if you're still carrying paper with you, like one of those pilgrims who likes to crank down windows and have hot vinyl seats, look to the middle of your Bible, Psalm 150. Now, just a quick background. If you haven't been here with us this summer, a couple of interesting things just about the Psalms in general. Okay, The Psalms are wisdom literature, and there are five books in the Old Testament of our Bible. The Old Testament is all the stuff that was written before Jesus lived on this earth, and then the New Testament is all the stuff that was written after Jesus. And so in the Old Testament, there are these five books of wisdom literature. We often think of Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, but Song of Solomon and Job are the other two that are often, not in every categorization, because this is just kind of us gathering things together. But there are these five books of wisdom literature. And what's really fun, if you notice in the Old Testament, before the book of Psalms, or I'm sorry, before these five books of literature of wisdom, there are 17 books of history. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the whole story of God building his people. And then there are these five wisdom books that, that kind of instruct us how to think, live, and pray. And then after these wisdom literature books, there are 17 books of prophecy. So the Old Testament is broken up, or can be broken up, 17 books of history, wisdom literature, and then 17 books of prophecy. And so right here in the middle of it all, we find the Psalms. And Psalm 150 says this, praise the Lord. Why you read this together with me? Let's just read down through Psalm 50. It's not real long. Come on, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's not a bad way to end a book, right? But here in Psalm 150, if we bounce back real quick to verse one, it says, praise the Lord. And, and in English, we may lose some of this. In Hebrew, this sounds like hallelujah. I know, I know that's gonna be difficult for you to grasp as well. You are not Hebrew scholars like I pretend to be. In the original Hebrew, in which this Psalm would have been written, the, the words, verse number one, that we translate praise the Lord, a Hebrew person would say, hallelujah. Hallelujah means joyous praise. It's a version of that in, in Hebrew. And yah is short for Yahweh. And if you've been around your Old Testament, and you've been around your Bible, you might know that Yahweh is a name for God. Hallelujah. Have any of you ever said hallelujah? That's how we say it here in America, English, in 2023. 
Psalm 150 opens with hallelujah, translated in our NIV as praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Did you know that when you were saying hallelujah, you are speaking Hebrew? You're hallelujah. Praise to God. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. This isn't even talking yet about what God has done, right? God is worthy of praise independent of his actions, just for who he is. Gentlemen, you want your wife to love you more deeply? Tell her, babe, I love all the things that you do for me. I love the way that you take care of me and look after me. I love the way that you talk to me. But you know what I really love? I just love who you are. Oh, husbands, she'll just... Right here in Psalm 150, right here at the beginning, the writer is saying, praise God, praise him in his sanctuary, praise him for his mighty heaven, just for who he is, right? We often give God thanks for the things that he does. Thank you, God, for delivering Abby from that car accident. Thank you that it wasn't too bad. Thank you, God, for bringing Doris through her hand surgery. I thank you that it's healing. Thank you that Natalie can be here today, even though she was in the hospital yesterday. Thank you that Roy is here today, even though he was not. We often thank God for the things that he does. How often do you just thank God and praise him for being God? Do you do that very often? I don't think I do that enough, but this psalm reminds me, praise God for who he is. Hallelujah all the time. Now, God's acts are amazing. That's why in verse two of Psalm 150, it says, praise him for his acts of power. We don't want to forget what God has done. We need to remember this. So praise him, not just for who he is, but also for what he has done. Praise God for his surpassing greatness. It's almost like praise God for what he has done, for what he is doing, and praise God for what he can still do. God is the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. Any of you follow sports? Do you enjoy the, the GOAT arguments lately, the last couple of years? GOAT, greatest of all time. And there are all these debates as transcendent athletes making millions of dollars a year as they do amazing things. And people say, well, who is the, who is the GOAT in basketball? Is it, is it Jordan or Chamberlain? Or is it, is it Russell or is it James? All these different. And, and they argue about, well, this guy scored this many points. But, but you know, back when, when they played, it was a different. And there's this whole argument. And, and people try to compare athletes. And is this golfer going to be the next Tiger Woods? Because Tiger was the greatest of all time. And, and there are all these comparisons that people make trying to compare things across history. Are they the greatest of all time? Psalm 150 simply says, Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. He is the greatest of all time. This is our God, deserving our praise. And, and back to the original theme of don't be so selfish. Who do you spend most of your time praising in your life today? Do you spend as much time thinking amazing things about God as you do thinking amazing things about yourself? I don't want you to run yourself down. But are you praising God as much as you're praising yourself? Are you celebrating God as much as you're celebrating yourself? Are you giving God credit as much as you give yourself credit? Ah, something to think about later. Verse 3 of Psalm 150, we get some instruction on how to praise God. How to praise God for who he is and for what he does. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Who brought their trumpet today? Nobody. Oh, we missed that one. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. And doesn't say guitars, but that's pretty close. You got some strings and people need some skill to do it. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Woo! Mennonites. Praise him with dancing. That must be a mistake. No, it's not a mistake. 
The final psalm, the one kind of putting the bow on this book of prayers, lyrics that can be put to music, praise him with timbrel and dancing, praise him with the strings and pipe, praise him with the clash of cymbals, with resounding cymbals, hey, we got that, we got a whole set of them back here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven cymbals, hey, we're just Old Testament folks around here, aren't we? How do we praise God? With everything we've got. With everything we've got. You get a person who starts to get real strict about the only kind of music you ought to have in church. I've known people before that said, well, really the best way to praise God is, is just with our voices. We ought to have only a cappella. And I want to say, read Psalm 150. Because it seems like praising God with trumpets, harps, lyres, timbrels, dancing, strings, pipes, and cymbals is a legitimate way to do so. Some people, yeah, but it should own. The real best way to praise God is with the organ the way that Jesus did. <laughs> Sorry. I don't want to go all footloose on you here. But what I want to tell you is that we should be praising God with everything we've got, right? Do it well. We don't want to be clanging gongs or cymbals. We're reminded in 1 Corinthians 13 not to be that. But praise God with all this for who he is and for what he's done. Praise God. Verse 6, let everything. We, we, okay, why do we praise God? We praise God for who he is. Why else? Because of what he's done. How do we praise God with all those instruments? Who praises God? Verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everything that has breath. And then Psalm 150 ends with, in English, it's three words. It says, praise the Lord. But if we were all Hebrews here today, what one word would we say? We would say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say that again. You need practice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. You didn't know you were going to be charismatic today, did you? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the instruction. This is the teaching. This is what's brought to us from Psalm 150. Now, some of you today are loving it. You're saying, yes, this is right where I'm at. This is just what I needed. I am. Oh, God, you are amazing. But let's be honest. There are some of us in the room who aren't feeling it right now. There are some of you in the room, and you're saying, I'm not saying hallelujah. You didn't say that out loud. But in your heart, you're saying, I'm not saying hallelujah. I don't feel hallelujah. I don't even know this God yet. I'm just here because my buddy's getting baptized. That's all right. That's all right. But I want to, just with the last little bit of this sermon, I want to ask you, what if we don't feel like praising in light of Psalm 150, if we don't feel like it, does that mean we're off the hook? If I'm having a bad day, does that mean I can just mope? Does that mean I can check out? Does that mean I can quit? I, I would like to challenge you. In the title of the sermon today that you see in your bulletin, fake it until you make it. And notice there's a question mark at the end, not an exclamation point or a period. It's a question. Fake it till you make it. Man, that's a, that's a dangerous idea. You've, you've heard that, right? This is for all those posers out there who, who, who want to fit in even though they don't feel like they fit in in some kind of crowd that has astronomical expectations. Fake it till you make it. Well, I don't want to be that way with my faith. I don't want to be a fake person. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a show. I don't want that. I don't think you guys do either, do you? I mean, that's... That's not life, that's just an act. 
and it's exhausting. But yet, we are told, we're told here in, in Psalm 150, praise God for who he is, and God doesn't change. Praise God for what he's done. Well, what he's done isn't changing. It is still historically accurately true. And so there's this challenge to praise God. What do we do when we don't feel like it? Well, first of all, I'd like to challenge you to pay attention to your feelings, but don't be driven by them, okay? Oftentimes, our feelings are an indication of something that we need to either work on or heal from or repent of or put boundaries around. God gave us emotions so that we could have a, a, bit, of a, a bit of a sign of what's happening deep in our hearts because sometimes we don't know what's really happening deep in our hearts. And so if you don't feel like praising, the first thing that I would tell you that, that the writer of Psalm 150 didn't get to do, the first thing I would tell you to do is take all that stuff to Jesus. Psalm 150 was written a thousand years before the Messiah walked on the earth. Well, now, 2,000 years after Jesus was here, we know that we can take all of our stuff, even our emotional stuff, we can take our disappointments and our letdowns, we can take all of the misery that we sometimes feel, we can take that to Jesus. We can be healed from that. We can be restored. Jesus isn't only about salvation. Hear me well. Jesus is absolutely about saving us, but salvation is just step number one in a long journey that we call Christian faith. Salvation is step one, and then there is, oh, there is restoration, and there is healing, and there is redemption, and all that stuff that works itself out in our lives, and our hearts, and our relationships. Take all this stuff. When you don't feel like it, take that stuff to Jesus. If you're ruled by your feelings, that's not Okay. It's not okay to be ruled by your feelings. Feel them, think about them. If you're ruled by that, though, you need to talk to somebody. Maybe talk to a counselor about that. There's no shame here. Just deal with your stuff, okay? But don't let your feelings drive you. We should be in a place where even when I'm frustrated, when I'm let down, I can praise God for who he is and what he's done. Now, another little detail. This might be helpful for you. Many scholars see the Psalms not just as song lyrics. We often talk about that, and in fact, some of the psalms say, you know, to be put to the hymn of such and such, you know, melodies that have been lost to us these days. But many agree that the psalms are not primarily song lyrics, but they are prayers. Think about that next time you read through the psalms. These are prayers, and they can be set to music, and some of the most powerful songs are simply prayers set to music. But I wonder, that was really helpful for me when I began to kind of read about and think about that idea, that the Psalms are simply prayers that are written down. And it got me wondering, can I pray my praise? We often think of praise and worship, using praise as a synonym for music. Again, this is a lot of our culture, right? We live in 2023 America, and a lot of us have baggage, stuff that has shaped us that's not necessarily biblical or true. But even in bulletins and worship outlines, when I'm writing something or expressing something about a song, I like to write down that this is a congregational song. It's not worship, because worship is so much bigger than music. I wonder, is your praise bigger than music? Is your praise bigger than a song that, that you can sing happy? I hope you can sing some songs happy. Don't get me wrong, I believe music is inspirational, powerful, and worshipful, but I wonder if our view of praise is too narrow. What would it mean for you if you were to pray praise? 
because you know already, if you've been here any amount of time, if you've ever read your Bible, you know that you can pray in all situations. In fact, you are called to pray in all situations. When things are hard, when things are difficult, when things are great, you should be praying, right? Well, I wonder if, if the Psalms are really prayers that are written down. If Psalm 150, if all this hallelujah stuff is prayers, I wonder when, when we're praying, even from the depths of God, things are so hard. I wonder if there can be any kind of a hallelujah in there. I wonder if we can give God credit, if we could give God recognition of his glory, even when our circumstances are kind of a mess. What would it mean for you to pray praise? This is what it looks like for me. I'll just tell you how I've been trying to work at this. This means that when I wake up in the morning, I'm trying to remember, before I even get out of bed, just to say, God, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Holy Spirit, I love you. Before the day even starts, before there's even a circumstance, God, I love you. I am praising you now. This means that even when I'm in pain, I can praise God. God, this hurts, but God, you are amazing and glorious. I, I praise you. God, you're amazing, but would you please help me? See, that, that's a praise right there, even though it's also a request. Do you think about it that way? Do you realize that you can pray? You don't have to be a fakety fake fake and be smiling all the time to praise God. No, you can praise God wherever you're at, whatever you've got going on. I'm not asking you to be a poser. I'm just telling you that like Psalm 150 tells us, you can praise all the time, even if you don't feel like singing. And now here is the turn. This is why, frankly, Jesus gave us communion. Didn't see that coming, did you? No. This is why Jesus gave us communion. See, we, we, we are expected to come to God with all the rawness of who we are and what we're living, right? God, God loves us and God wants us to come to him. God says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. and I will make your burdens light. We come to God with all the rawness of who we are and what we're living. And that's the Psalms. We see that over and over. David crying out, all the others crying out, Lord, help me, save me. My enemies are here. Lord, I'm low. I feel like I'm in the pit. Save me. And in prayer, which all the Psalms are, in prayer, somehow we offer all of ourselves and all of our stuff up to God. And God gives us back ourselves with himself all intertwined. And somehow it makes a difference. We, we give all that we are to God, and what do we get back? We get God in the midst of that stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever brought something to God and said, God, I can't deal with this, I can't handle this, and God gives you something that lets you deal and gives you the ability to handle it for just a little while longer? See, here in communion, which we're going to take in just a moment together, we're going to remember that God shows us and tells us that he is with us. Jesus spoke and said, when you drink this cup and when you eat this bread, it's, I am with you. Jesus calls us to remember, to remember him because he knows that we feel all kinds of stuff and we go through all kinds of stuff. Communion is an invitation to remember what God has done. I, and, and I'm not sure, I think a couple minutes ago I said something about praising God for who he is and what he's done. Psalm 150 verse, what was that? Two, three, I don't know, so long ago. But communion is an invitation to remember what God has done in you so that you can praise him and find strength in him no matter what. When we take communion, we are remembering Jesus' death. 
And why is that worth remembering? Because Jesus' death accomplished our salvation. Jesus died on a cross. He died a death that was meant for all of us. He took all of our sins on himself and he died as a perfect representative of who God was. Jesus died on the cross so that our sins could be put to death, so that we could be forgiven. And I know this is some, some deep water for some of you. But let me tell you that the simple picture is that Jesus took all of the punishment that we deserve and on the cross he died so that we could have all the life that he earned. Jesus' death accomplished our salvation. And so Jesus, right before he died, he told his disciples, when you eat the bread and drink the cup, remember my death, because this death is your life. This is what we're remembering here. Now, as we get ready to take communion, it is my assumption that many of you here will not take communion for a variety of reasons. We're told in the New Testament to consider, consider ourselves before we take communion. And so in just a minute, I'm going to invite all of you who are going to receive communion, I'm going to invite you to come forward and take a little cup of grape juice. We don't do wine, we do grape juice. And then there's two kinds of bread. There's a big tray of <clears throat> regular bread, whatever that is, but a little tray of gluten-free bread, because I know some of you have issues. Our bodies are not the way they're supposed to be all the time, are they? Right, so it's, it's my assumption that not everybody's going to come forward for the bread and cup. In, in the scriptures, it tells us that we need to consider ourselves. And, and if, we're not, if you're not in a close relationship with God right now, if you don't know God yet, I want to help you to get close to God. But if you're not, if you're not close to God, if you've got some kind of anger towards God, don't take communion today. Because in communion, we're saying, I remember. I remember what Jesus did for me. But it's bigger than just me, right? It's not a selfish thing. In communion, we're saying, we remember. Communion, it is a communal act. We do it as a community. It's not just you taking communion. This is us taking communion. And so some of you are going to say, well, I don't feel like I'm part of us. Okay, well, then you don't need to take communion. I don't, I don't want you to feel any pressure. Examine yourself. Am I in a right relationship with God? If you are, well, then you can take communion. But there's also this call, and this is where it gets very difficult. Anabaptists, and that, that includes Mennonites and Brethren and some others, for 500 years we have emphasized that this is something that we do together. And one of the things that we've emphasized is Matthew 18 where it says, says that if you've got a problem with someone, you should go and talk to them directly to deal with that. And, and if you're not able to resolve it, then you should take one or two trusted friends and, and godly people along with you so that you can be reconciled and, and help things to be together. And if that doesn't work, then the church should talk about it together. And I just recognize the reality is that some of us still have conflicts among ourselves with other people in the room that we haven't been able to work through yet. And I want to say, okay, let's deal with that. But if you're at a place now where you can't honestly say, I'm at peace with everybody else here, I would say then communion is not yet for you today because what we're doing is we're coming together and we're saying, Jesus brought us together and we're here in unity. And if you can't say that with all your heart, just let the symbol stay on the table, okay? None of this stuff heals you. None of this stuff saves you. This is just a remembrance. And we're proclaiming together that the truth of Jesus is that we're reconciled together and we're reconciled to God. If that's not your truth, don't proclaim it. Because the scripture tells us that if we eat and drink this stuff out of alignment, that we're drinking judgment upon ourselves. And, and we don't need to do that. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to open up the trays and there'll be juice. And I'm going to open up the bread and it'll be there. And I'm going to invite all of you, all of you, 
who are ready for communion, and you're going to have to decide that yourself based on all the things I've talked about in the last two weeks. All of you who are ready for communion, come forward, take the cup and take the bread. And there'll be some of you who don't take communion. That's fine. Just stay where you are. We're not looking around. I'm not keeping score. I'm not the gatekeeper here. I'm the server. So now at this time, would you pray with me as we open communion? Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and offering your life that we could be saved. Lord God, thank you for sending your son so that we don't have to be stuck in our sins. And Lord, thank you for giving us tools, as illustrated through scripture, tools where where we can come to peace with you and we could be at peace with each other. Lord, I know there are all kinds of different situations in the room. So Lord, help all of us. Would you help all of us right now to just be honest with, with who we are? Would you help us to be honest with our struggles? Honest with our baggage? Not stuck in it, but Lord, help us to, to recognize that there is some stuff that we're still working through that's not resolved yet. And, and Lord, would you speak to each heart here as to whether right now is a time to take communion and make this proclamation together that we are yours? Lord, as we take the cup and as we take the bread, I pray that you would prepare our hearts for whatever it is that you're going to do in us. Thank you, God, for loving us. And help us all to be as gracious with each other as you have been with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you're going to receive communion, go ahead and just come down the center aisle here, and then you can go back to your seats that way. Um, Your kids are fine just staying right where they are, and and if you're not going to take communion, just stay where you're at. You're not in the way. But um, why don't you come forward now and get the cup. Maybe don't get it from Steve. (laughs) But uh, come forward and get the cup and get the bread, and then take them both back to your seats.
On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he took the cup and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you eat it, he said, remember me. And so today we remember what Jesus has done. Jesus has come so that we can have life. Jesus has come to reveal the truth that we can praise God no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what we're feeling, no matter what we're going through at the moment. Jesus has come to say that even if we're at a place where things don't seem right, there is hope. And so with that in mind, I invite you to take this bread. Repeat these words after me. The bread which we break break. is the communion of the body of Christ. Christ. Eat the bread. I invite you to repeat these words after me as we receive this cup of communion. The cup which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. Drink it. God, we come to you still with the taste of bread and juice in our mouth. Lord, you've blessed us with abundant harvests of of wheat and of grapes. Lord, we, we never have to wonder where our food's coming from. But Lord, as we take this food into our bodies, we recognize what you have done in our lives. We recognize that even the simple, plain, and difficult things that we bring to you, Lord, you, you give them back to us with, with yourself all wrapped up in it, and you bless us. And so thank you, God. Lord, we praise you. We say hallelujah because of who you are and what you have done. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.